Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. Well, today we're going to be talking about joy. Now, I've observed in Christians and I've observed in non-Christians alike a lack of joy, an overall lack of joy. Have you noticed that? But as I look in the Word of God, I'm convinced that if we knew what the Word of God had to say about joy, that we would never be without it again. Now, I'm going to give you a real secret as to why so many people will turn loose of their joy. Now, first, I want you to answer this question inside of yourself. Do you see joy as an emotion? Just answer that inside of yourself. I want you to listen very carefully because this is going to be a real key to your joy factor. As long as you see joy as an emotion, you're going to continue to let that joy slip through your fingers from time to time because you're going to think that you really don't have a choice in the matter. See, our old emotions, they're fickle, and they're up one day, and they're down the next day, and we think we can't control our emotions, and most of the time we can't. So if you'll mark this down, half of your battle is going to be over. Joy is not an emotion. Now, joy is going to affect your emotions, and it's going to cause your emotions to feel good, but joy is not an emotion. Joy is a character trait of God. It's a character trait of the Holy Spirit. It's commonly called a fruit of the Spirit. In fact, if you'll look over in Galatians 5, verse 22 later, you'll find that the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, kindness, patience, it names nine of the fruit of the Spirit or nine of the character traits of the Holy Spirit. Now, none of these are emotions. These are powerful spiritual forces that are being emitted from the Spirit of God Himself. Now, I've thought back over the years at how many times I'd just be miserable because I'd feel like I'd lost my joy and I'd just think, Lord, I just need my joy back. I don't know how to get my joy back. And I would just wallow in that emotion and I would just continually expect some supernatural bolt of lightning to come down out of heaven and just supernaturally restore my joy. Now, it doesn't happen that way. You know, and I waited a long time waiting for that to happen and nothing happened. But there is a spiritual way in which we can get our joy and keep our joy. And that's what I'm wanting us to see tonight. Now, later look up Philippians 4, verse 4. I'm going to be giving you a lot of Scripture references. Write all the references down because you're going to want to mark your Bible later. But in Philippians 4, verse 4, we're given a commandment. We're told, rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice part of the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul said, and again I say rejoice. It's almost as though he was writing this letter and he was saying, you've got to rejoice always. And then he starts to go on with his letter and then he stops and he said, again I'm going to say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Now I looked that up and it means to jump, to leap, to dance, and to spin. That's what he's telling us to do. Now that's a commandment. Okay, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Christians. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Now, God could not command us to rejoice, to jump, to leap, to rejoice on the inside of us if joy were an emotion. We're to rejoice by an act of our will. We're to rejoice by a deliberate choice to do so. Now, just as we were given a measure of faith when we became born again, there is an initial measure of joy. There's a seed of joy that every child of God receives from the Father when he's born again. And it's called the joy of our salvation. You'll see it all through the Word of God. Now, I want to tell you something interesting. Later, look up Luke 2, verse 10. But do you know what was the very first message about Jesus at His birth? The very first message 
the angels were saying to the shepherds, I bring you good news of what? Does anybody remember? I bring you good news of a great joy. Now, they weren't talking about an emotion. They were talking about a person because verse 11 goes on, on to say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Okay, that great joy was a person. So today I'm going to give you four ways now in which you can bring that joy, keep that joy coming up and out of you continually so that you can rejoice in the Lord always. And then I'm going to give you four reasons why it is so important to do that because joy will affect your entire existence. Okay, number one, the Bible teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit who releases the joy of our salvation and brings it up and out of us. Now, you've heard it said that an encounter with the Holy Spirit brings a baptism of love, and it does. But it also brings a baptism of joy. In other words, we're just immersed with joy. Now, that's why you've heard a lot of people laughingly say that when someone gets filled with the Spirit, they need to be locked up for six months. Have you ever heard that? Okay, they're not talking about the fact that they need to be locked up because they've gotten some new faith or they've gotten new revelation knowledge. They're talking about these people needing to be locked up because of this newfound joy, this new burst of joy. And see, the world can't handle that. The world's not used to this kind of joy. The world doesn't understand it. It's intimidated by it. In fact, the world just absolutely is overwhelmed by the kind of joy that we're going to be talking about tonight. But the worries and cares of this world come, and finally, it's easy for that joy to begin to dwindle. Have you ever experienced having your joy dwindle? We have. Every one of us have. Well, at this point, it's a process to keep that joy alive. Now, I want you to turn to Acts 13, verse 52, because this is the first part of the process of keeping that joy alive. Acts 13, 52. Jesus has ascended to the Father, and you need to circle verse 52. It says the disciples were continually filled with two things. They were continually filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were continually filled with joy. Circle that. That's very important. Those two go together. It's a twofold blessing. If a person is daily filled with the Spirit, then the fringe benefit is that you're also going to be filled continually with joy. And you say, well, then how can you be continually filled? What do you have to do? Well, write down the reference, Psalm 16, verse 11. Because in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, In His presence, that's the key, in His presence is the fullness of joy. So where's the fullness of joy? Okay, it's when we're dwelling in His presence. And where is His presence? Where does He dwell? Well, one of the places now that the Bible tells us that God dwells is in the praises of His people. So one way then that we can stay and keep the fullness of joy is by coming into the midst of praising Him. You know, have you ever gone into a song service and, boy, the joy just began coming up and out of you, you got so excited and you thought, oh, this feels so good? Well, the reason it feels good is because that force of joy does affect your emotions and it does feel good. Now, the reason that joy is coming up and out when you're in the midst of people praising and worshiping God is because God is dwelling in the praises of His people. And as we come into His presence and as we come into the midst of that praise and we begin praising, then there in His presence is the fullness of joy. Now, Dr. Ed Hill of California made this statement. He said, without Christ, there is no rejoicing. He said, there may be moments of laughter, but that inner sustained joy, that sustained period of excitement 
where it never ceases, it never goes away. He says it starts and it ends with Jesus. Now, non-Christians will never be able to experience what I'm going to be talking about tonight. They may have moments of happiness, but they'll never be able to experience this sustained joy. Now, later look up 1 Peter 1 verse 8. It says, though we do not see him, we love him. And because we believe him, we greatly rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. Okay, the reason that we can greatly rejoice is because we love him and because we believe him. We believe his word. And the more we get into the word and, and see what he's telling us and the promises that he's made, the more we're going to be able to greatly rejoice. And it says that it's a joy inexpressible and full of glory. In other words, it's a joy that can't be put into words. You've always seen these little cartoon signs that says happiness is, and they'll say happiness is thus and so. Well, one day I felt like the Lord impressed me with the question, what is true joy to you? And I thought about that for a little while. And I thought, you know, joy to me is being able to go to bed at night and knowing that the Lord is right there with me, knowing that as I sleep through the night, He never leaves me, He never forsakes me. And the moment that my eyes open up the next morning, He's going to be right there with me. He's going to be with me all day long, no matter what comes along, no matter how many problems try to present themselves, no matter how many fears try to overtake me, the Lord is right there with me, that I have this little secret down on the inside of me. And it's like other people can be around me, but I've got this secret on the inside of me, knowing that the Lord's right there. He's my very best friend. He's there, and there's absolutely nothing too difficult for Him. And I thought, that's exactly what joy is to me. And that joy is an inexpressible joy. It's something I can't even begin to put into words. And I know you've experienced that, and you can't put it into words. It's something that is just a secret on the inside. And every time we think about the fact that the Lord is our very best friend and He never leaves us, He never forsakes us, then it just keeps that joy just literally coming up and out of us all the time. Okay, later look up John 16, verse 22. Jesus is talking to His disciples and He's saying, Now you have sorrow. Now the reason He said that they had sorrow was because they had just realized that He was fixing to be crucified. But He went on to say, But I will see you again. And when I come again, your heart will rejoice and no one will be able to take your joy away from you. Now, he wasn't talking about in heaven. He was talking about after the resurrection, he was going to come again. And when they saw him, they would rejoice. And you need to mark that later. That's John 16, 22. He said, no one will be able to take that joy away from you. Later mark it in your Bible because that's so important. The good news is that we live on the other side of the resurrection. Now, He has come back, and our hearts can now rejoice. The debt has been paid, and we have His promise that nobody can take that joy away from us. Now, I want you to think about that. No one can take your joy away from you. Now, many people lay their joy down because the battle gets tough and because the circumstances look bleak. But if we'll get it down in our spirit that no one can take it away from us, then we're going to start hanging on to it. You know, when our joy starts slipping away, we're going to start saying, uh-uh, nobody can take this joy away from me. The number one joy developer is the being continually filled with the Spirit, continually realizing that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Then the number two way to keep joy flowing is to prime the pump. Now, I don't know how many of you know what I mean by that, but sometime with an old water pump, you had to pour a little water in to get the water coming up out of the pump. Now, sometimes we have to first initiate that joy to get the joy of our salvation flowing up. 
Now we can do that when we realize that joy is not an emotion. When we realize that it is a powerful force that's down on the inside of us and it's there at all times, it's ready to be brought forth. Anytime we wanna bring it forth, we can bring it forth by an act of our will. And bringing it forth is what the New Testament calls sacrifices of praise. Now in Psalm 27 verse six, it says, I will offer up sacrifices in the tabernacle with shouts of joy. Now under the new covenant, we don't have to offer any sacrifice of goats and bulls, but in Hebrews 13 verse 15, we are told that we are now to offer up sacrifices of praise. Okay, there's gonna come a time when we just don't feel like praising. There's gonna come a time when we don't want to. And it is going to be a sacrifice and that's exactly what David was talking about in the Psalms when he would speak to his soul and he would say, soul, don't despair, trust in God. And later he would go on to say, so bless the Lord. He was constantly telling his mind and his will and his emotions what to do. He was constantly telling himself to praise God. And sometimes we have to do that. We have to speak to our soul and speak to our body. And we have to say, body, leap for joy. You know, mouth, sing praises to God. Hands, clap. Now I looked up Psalm 47 verse one and it says, shout unto God with a voice of joy. And I looked up that word shout and it means to split the ears with sound. We're to shout unto God with a voice of joy. There's times when we literally need to let our voice shout unto God. You know, have you ever walked into a worship service and everybody was clapping and they were singing and they were praising God and you thought, oh, that's the last thing I'm in the mood to do? <laughs> well, if we'll be honest, we've all been there. And sometimes it does have to be a sacrifice to bring it forth. But if you'll start it, if you'll initiate it by your will, then all of a sudden that mood will change. And as you speak to your soul and you begin to tell yourself to praise the Lord, and as you do it by an act of your will, then pretty soon that joy just begins flowing up. You know, several years ago, one of the college boys came out to our house and I knew him real well or I couldn't have done this, but he came out and he said, oh, I'm fighting depression, Pedro. He said, I just, I've just lost my joy. And I didn't say anything, I just got up and I put a praise tape on and I pulled him up to his feet and I said, okay, you're gonna need to start dancing and leaping and clapping your hands and praising God. Well, he was real embarrassed and he, you know, he was so intimidating, he started kind of shuffling his feet a little bit and he kind of half-heartedly started clapping his hands. And uh, I said, no, that's not gonna do it. You're gonna have to bring forth a sacrifice of praise. Well, before it was over, I went on about what I'd been doing and he was out there just leaping and dancing and praising the Lord and he left the house in a few hours and all of his joy had been restored. It works, it's God's word. Okay, number three joy producer. In John 15, 10 and 11, look it up later, but it says obedience to God brings fullness of joy. Okay, John 15, 10 and 11. So we find that two things in his presence and obedience, those two things bring fullness of joy. So if you want the fullness of joy, that's the two places to find it. Now I'm sure most of you have experienced this, but if you've ever had the Holy Spirit tell you to do something and then you were obedient and you did it, it just made you feel joyful all over. You know how it feels. Obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit brings joy. You know, I had someone call me one time and they said, I felt like I was supposed to go and minister to this particular person. And she said, when I did it, it made me feel alive, it made me feel wonderful, and it made me feel full of joy. Now I took note of those three words that she used to describe how it felt when she was obedient. Alive, wonderful, and full of joy. 
Now, I'm not talking about the things that we do under false obligation. I'm not talking about those things that we do out of guilt or because we have to do it. I'm talking about joyful, willing obedience. Now, my husband showed me something in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47 that I thought was very interesting. Deuteronomy 28 lists all the blessings for obedience, and it lists the uh, curses for disobedience. And Deuteronomy 28, 47 says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy. You know, we know we're supposed to serve God and we're supposed to be obedient, but sometimes we forget that God is requiring that we serve Him with joy. Everything we do is to be done with joy. And he said, because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you will serve your enemies. It's a choice. We're either going to serve God with joy or we're going to serve our enemies. Okay, number four, joy builder is laughter. Now we need to learn the art of laughter. Laughter is one of the foremost ways in which our joy is going to be kept alive, especially when we're facing adverse circumstances. Now we're told that we are to fill our mouth with laughter. In other words, we're told to do that by an act of our will. We're to fill our own mouth with laughter. In fact, Job 5 verse 22 says that we will laugh at violence and famine. Now, it's supernatural how laughter works in the face of adverse circumstances. There's no other way to describe it because it is a supernatural thing. And you'll never be able to understand it until you try it sometime. Sometime when the circumstances are so bad that you can't possibly see a way out. And the worse the circumstances, the better time to try it. You began thinking, oh, I'm just never going to get my joy back. You know, this is so bad, I'm never going to get out of that. Began to laugh and just keep on laughing. Now, you're going to feel foolish, but remember the Bible says that it's the foolish things that confound the wise. So just begin to laugh and keep on laughing. And if you'll do that in faith unto God, joy will finally begin to just rise up out of your spirit. And it does work because it's God's Word. Now, he said in Job that you'll laugh at violence and famine. Now, I'm not saying that you might not be doing something wrong that opened the door to the enemy, but we're going to find out as we begin to laugh and as we begin to rejoice, all of a sudden then the oppression and the fear begins to leave and we're able to see clearly and we begin to hear the Lord again. See, it puts everything back in perspective. You know, one girl related a story to me, and it's a godly principle that we really need to incorporate. She was in the midst of a real battle, and she said it was a real trial of her faith, and she was just engulfed in fear. She said she couldn't even think. She couldn't read the Word. She couldn't pray because the fear was just covering her. And she said one day she felt like the Lord impressed her to begin laughing at the problem. And she said she forced this little sick-sounding attempt at laughter, and she said it sounded so ridiculous that she got tickled. (laughs) And she said the more she thought about how ridiculous she was sounding, the more she laughed, and finally she wasn't having to force the laughter anymore. Finally, she was just holding her sides. And she said all of a sudden that joy began to surface and the fear broke. See, it's really hard to fear while we're laughing. And she said when she had the fear under control, then she was able to get a hold of her faith again. She was able to hear God. You know, have you ever noticed that when you're under extreme pressure or under extreme stress, that sometimes you laugh even at inappropriate times when you're under a lot of pressure? Have you noticed that? Well, it's kind of like there's a safety valve on the inside of us because God knows that joy and that laughter is what breaks through the stress and takes the stress and the pressure off of our body. 
You know, years ago, we had the bottling company, the Pepsi bottling company, and our bottling machinery went down. And some engineers came in, and they worked all night because they had to have the machinery going by the next morning. And Jack said it was about 4 o'clock in the morning, and he said they were mentally and they were physically just exhausted. And one of the guys told a joke that he said really wasn't even funny, and they all just broke out laughing, just leaned back against the machinery and laughed. And it, he said it was just kind of like a safety valve that just released the pressure that they had been under from the stress that they'd been under all night. Okay, we said that joy can be built up by being continually filled by staying in His presence. Number two, we can rejoice by choice, prime the pump with sacrifices of praise. Number three, by being obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And number four, by laughter. Now, I can promise you that these four things will totally eliminate the lack of joy, if you'll do it. It'll totally eliminate it. Okay, we've talked about how to bring it forth, but why do we bring it forth? Why does God require joy? Okay, I'm going to have us now look at four very important things that joy does. Number one, joy brings literal strength. Now, I want you to look up Nehemiah 8, verse 10. There wasn't time to look up all the scriptures, but some of them were so familiar with the scripture that we just sort of read past it and we don't realize what it's actually saying. Now, we sing Nehemiah 8, 10. We quote it often, but many, many times we don't take it literally. In Nehemiah 8, verse 10, the last part of verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to circle that. The joy of the Lord literally is our spiritual strength. It's our emotional strength. It's our physical strength. That is what God gave us to bring strength in times of need. Now, if the enemy can get your eyes on the circumstances long enough to cause you to lay down your joy, then you're going to lay down your strength. See, it takes physical strength, it takes emotional strength to go through a spiritual battle. And when our strength is gone, then we find out that battle fatigue begins to set in. You know, in the army, when a person becomes battle fatigued, what do they do? They have to go home or go to the hospital. They're not worth anything. Well, Satan's scheme is to get us battle fatigued so that we'll want to go home early before our work on earth is accomplished. That's exactly what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get us into battle fatigue because he wants us to lay down the fight and choose to go home early. And I see that happen all the time in the body of Christ. Now, when somebody has been standing for a long time and they haven't seen their prayer answer come about, that's when they need to hang on to their joy like never before because that joy is the strength that helps them get through to the end. Now, I want you to notice a statement. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm just too tired to fight anymore? Okay, we've heard people say that, and we've been guilty of saying it. When did they get too tired to fight? It was after they turned loose of their joy. See, it wasn't because the battle got too tough. As long as we hold on to our joy, the battle doesn't get too tough. And there's a direct correlation. We lay our joy down first, then we become tired, and then the battle gets too tough. It's not vice versa. And it always starts with a thought. Satan comes in with a thought. The little thought will be, well, the battle's getting awful tough and you haven't seen an answer lately and, you know, you're probably not going to see an answer and you're probably doing something wrong. Those are little thoughts that come to try to get us to put our joy down. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So it's worth protecting our joy at all costs. And one of the ways you're going to protect it is by taking those thoughts captive. The joy is your strength. You know, have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament they would always send the praisers and the singers out ahead of the troops? 
Okay, it's because the joy was their strength for battle. Now, it was physical then, but that was a type and shadow. And we're going to find now that it's a physical strength, an emotional strength, and a spiritual strength. So keep your joy out in front of you. Okay, joy is not only your strength, but number two, joy is a medicine. Look at Proverbs 17.22. You've quoted this, but I want you to mark it in your Bible. Proverbs 17.22. A joyful heart is good medicine. Now, some of your translations may word it a little bit differently, but the literal Hebrew is, when you look it up, a joyful heart is good medicine, literally. A joyful heart has healing quality. Now, a joyful heart is a medicine that God has prescribed, and we need to take that seriously. Now, I'm going to name some things. Depression, despair, hopelessness, discouragement, Disappointment. Do you recognize any of those? Have you dealt with any of those lately? Okay. Those are assignments from the enemy camp, and they're sent to weaken our strength. They're sent to pull us down and cause us to give up. They're very prevalent in the body of Christ. Now, joy is the medicine that God has prescribed for depression and for despair and for hopelessness. If you went to the doctor with something physically wrong, he would prescribe medicine for that particular thing. Okay, this joy is the medicine that God has prescribed for these things that come against us soulishly. Now, God's system is always an exchange. He doesn't just look at you and say, get rid of depression. No, he gives you something in place of it. He always gives you an exchange for it. I want you to look up Isaiah 51, verse 11. It's important to realize that God doesn't just take the things away from us. He puts something good in place of it. There's something good that comes in that drives out the bad. And in Isaiah 51, verse 11, it's talking about the ransomed of the Lord returning. They've been in captivity and they're returning. That's a type and shadow of the fact that we have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. And we've literally returned to our God. And they came back with joyful shouting to Zion. They came back with everlasting joy on their heads. Okay, you need to circle that everlasting. Everlasting joy will be on their head. They will obtain gladness and joy. And when they do, sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's so important. Joyful shouting is an exchange for sorrow and sighing. Okay, which one do you want? You can't have both of them at the same time. Sorrow and sighing will flee away anytime joyful shouting comes in. You know, I read a secular article about a man who discovered that he had cancer and he only had a few weeks to live. So he decided that he was going to at least enjoy those last few weeks and he wanted to die happy. So he rented all of these slapstick comedies, Laurel and Hardy and The Three Stooges and Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. And week after week, hour after hour, he would run those movies, and he would laugh and laugh and laugh. Well, after three months, he was still alive, and he was obviously fine, and the doctors examined him, and they didn't find any trace of cancer. Now, that was a secular article. Okay, laughter is literally a medicine. It has healing qualities. Now, there are scientific articles that are being written now that explains medically what happens to the physical body when a person laughs a lot. So there's scientific reasons why laughter literally acts as a medicine. Laughter literally does good things physically to a body. And God knew that a long time before medical science had discovered that. 
Okay, turn on over to Isaiah 61. Now, Jesus quoted this scripture. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, The Spirit of God is upon me. If you remember, Jesus quoted that. He said, Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Skip on down to verse 3. The Lord has anointed me to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them, and notice the exchange system here, giving them a garland instead of ashes, giving them all of gladness instead of mourning, and giving them a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of, of fain or a spirit of heaviness or a spirit of depression. Okay, when heaviness or depression or despair is there, when you just feel plain old blah, exchange it for a mantle of praise. Have you ever noticed how tired you are when you're depressed or how tired you are when you feel blah? You just want to escape. You want to go somewhere and sleep. Well, that's because your joy is gone. Your strength is gone. Now, if you're sleepy and you're tired a lot and you haven't missed a lot of sleep, but if you've had enough sleep and you're still just sleepy and tired all the time, look for subtle depression. More than likely, there's some subtle depression there. And God's given us the remedy. He tells us what to do. Now, no one likes how depression feels, but the reason for getting out of depression is more than just so we can feel good. See, to stay in depression and to stay in despair brings a death process, and God knew that. That's why it's so important for us to get out of it. That's why grumbling and, and complaining and a critical spirit, that's why those are such an abomination to God, because it totally destroys our joy. We can't grumble and be joyful at the same time. Anytime we grumble and complain, our joy leaves. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it said they grumbled in the wilderness and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Grumbling is a tool of the enemy and it's sent to destroy. Grumbling literally brings on a death process, just like despair and, and hopelessness. In Numbers 17, 10 through 13, God told Moses to put a stop to their grumbling so they will not die. Later mark that in, in Numbers 17, 10 through 13 because he said, stop them from grumbling, Moses, so they won't die. See, God knew that grumbling would kill them. Now instead, God wants us to take our medicine, you know, take the medicine that he's prescribed. Let me give you this example. If you went to a doctor and the doctor told you to take four glasses of water every day and, and get a lot of bed rest, we wouldn't think about ignoring what he had told us to do and then go back in a week and say, well, nothing worked. We wouldn't think about doing that. And yet we do that with the Word of God all the time. You know, we go back and we just say, oh God, I don't know why my prayers aren't being answered. I don't know why nothing's working. Well, we need to ask ourselves, you know, have we brought forth any sacrifices of praise lately? You know, have we brought forth any shouts of joy? Have you done any leaping lately? <laughs> You know, we need to ask ourselves that. And we say, well, no, Lord, I'm a rather reserved person. You know, that's just not my character. Well, our character may stay a little depressed then. See, without obedience, we can't expect the fullness of joy because obedience brings in the fullness of joy. Now, it may be hard for you at first. This may be something you're not used to. And you may have to get in your car and roll up your windows and drive out in the country so that no one will hear you, you know. You may have to learn to do it that way. I can remember when I was so depressed... And so filled with despair, and I just thought, Lord, I just can't shout. I saw these scriptures, and I thought, Lord, I can't do that. You know, I just couldn't do it. I felt so intimidated. And one day I felt like the Lord impressed me to go way out in the pasture, and I got way out in the pasture, and no one was around, and I still couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't make my voice shout to God. 
And I thought, Lord, what is wrong? Why am I so intimidated? And I thought, I'm going to stay in this pasture until I can bring forth shouts of joy. And I thought, I'm going to stay here all night if it takes it. But you know, when I began to bring forth those shouts of joy, and it took a while, but finally that heaviness just began to lift. The despair began to go. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be loud all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that sometimes it's those loud, exuberant praises that's the remedy for depression. Sometimes when depression is so heavy on us that we have to get somewhere where we can loudly praise God and that lifts that depression. Now there's a lot of people who have the idea that Jesus was a very non-expressive person. But I want you to look at Luke 10 verse 19. I think a lot of times that we kind of subconsciously use this for an excuse and we think, well, you know, I don't think Jesus did that. Jesus had just sent the disciples out he had given them authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and he said, nothing will injure you. He said, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. It's almost as though as he started thinking about their names being recorded in heaven, that in verse 21, at that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now, I looked that up. And it said to jump for joy, to jump with exceeding joy. Well, I want you to picture that. I can close my eyes and I can just see the Lord saying, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. And he just begins jumping for joy. Okay, that's not the picture of a non-expressive person. Jesus was full of joy. He wasn't stoic. Okay, let's carry this a step further. The Bible says that those who live godly lives will be persecuted. And you will go through a certain amount of persecution. What are we supposed to do when we're persecuted? Look back at Luke chapter 6, verse 22. This describes persecution. Blessed are you when men hate you, ostracize you, cast insults at you, spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Okay, that's a pretty good description of persecution. And then in verse 23, he tells us what to do about it. He said, be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Okay. He said, jump, leap, shout, jump for joy, rejoice in that day. Okay, that's the remedy for persecution. In James 1 verse 2, it says, when you encounter various trials, count it joy. Okay, in other words, he's saying, call forth that joy out of you because that joy becomes strength to get you through those times of persecution. Okay, we said joy is a medicine. We said it's literal strength. Number three, joy is a faith protector. Now, I'm going to show you a little secret that a lot of people haven't thought of. Now, we're always talking about getting our faith built up. But once our faith has been built up, once we've come to a place where our faith is, I know that I know that I know that I know that this word is true. We've established our faith. You're going to find out that you will never lay that kind of faith down ever unless you lay your joy down first. Joy is a faith protector. And the Lord showed me this analogy with an orange. The pulp of the orange, he said, was like our faith. And the orange peeling is like our joy. Now, you can't get in there to devour that orange, the pulp of the orange, until you peel off the peeling first. Well, it's the same way. Nothing can get to our faith unless our joy is peeled away first. 
And so if you'll remember that little analogy, your, your faith is going to be protected. Now, joy is not going to build faith. You know, if you haven't done your homework to read the Word and build up your faith, your joy may be protecting dried up faith. <laughs> but nonetheless, it will continue to protect whatever faith is there until that joy is gone. Okay, last, number four, your joy is a witness. It's a ministry to others. Now, Smith Wigglesworth was known for his joy. He always said, the world will know that we're Christians by our joy. He believed that. And someone once asked Smith, they said, well, do you ever feel bad in the morning time? And he said, well, I don't know. I've never asked myself how I feel. <laughs> and, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, we all do this little self-examination. We get up in the morning, we say, how do I feel? You know, does my head hurt? <laughs> you know, how do I feel this morning? And we do our little self-examination. We need to stop that. Why ask? We aren't to go by our feelings anyway. We're to go by faith in the Word of God. We're told to choose joy. Now, the world wants joy so badly, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places, and they don't realize they're never going to find joy until they come to Jesus because it starts and it ends with Him. Joy is a person called Jesus, and God is wanting our joy to be a witness so that people will wonder what it is that we have and they'll investigate so that they can reach out and find what we have. Now I want you to look up Psalm 126, verse 2. And I ran across this little scripture. It really intrigued me. In verse 1 it says, "When the Lord brought back the captive ones. Okay, we're the ones that have been brought back now out of the captivity of the enemy. But in the Old Testament, when the Lord brought the captives back out of Babylon... In verse 2, it says, Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was filled with joyful shouting. And when their mouth was filled with laughter, and they were filled with joyful shouting, then the nation said, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. We're glad. Okay, when was it that the nation recognized the good things that God had done? It was when the nations saw them laughing and saw them full of joy. That's when they started investigating and they realized God's done great things for them. So literally, our laughter and our joy becomes a testimony to the goodness of God. It lets other people know the good things that God's done for us. If we're going around with a sad, long face, you know, who wants what we've got? You know, that doesn't, that doesn't witness anything good about the Lord. But when we're joyful and when we're happy and the joy of the salvation is coming up, it lets people want what we have. You know, we used to sing a little song called Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. So many times we just sing that and it's just words. But that's saying that when the king is on the throne, when Jesus is on the throne of our life, then joy is going to be like a flag flown high from the castle of our heart because the king is in residence there. And joy is just going to fly high and people will see that flag and they'll want him. They'll want what we have. You know, recently a missionary to India had given a lot of Bibles to the Hindus. And he later asked the man through whom he had given the Bibles, he said, are they reading the Bibles yet? And the man said, no, they're still reading you. Well, we're all being read. You know, that's what Paul says in Corinthians. You are a letter known and read by all. Okay, based on the amount of joy, you know, what is your letter saying? We all need to ask that. What is my letter saying to the world? We're being read. What are we saying? 
You know, I read a short article the other day, and a statement really caught me and made me get tickled for a moment, and then I thought, oh, that's so sad, but it was true. This little boy and his mother had pulled up in the driveway, and there was a little dog on the front porch. And so the little boy said, oh, mother, can I have that dog? And she didn't want to have to contend with baby puppies, so she said, well, not if it's a female dog. And so the little boy didn't even get out of the car. He said, oh, then I can't keep it. And she said, what do you mean? How do you know it's a female dog? And the little boy answered, and he said, because it has such a tired, sad face. <laughs> I thought, oh, <laughs> made me want to cry. And I thought, you know, that too often, the worries and the cares and everything robs our joy. And we're sad and we're tired. And that is the exposure that our children have to an everyday walk with God. You know, our joy needs to be so overflowing, first to our children and, and then to, you know, those around us that everybody wants it. You know, Sarah said in Genesis 21, verse 6, God has made laughter for me, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. See, laughter and joy, it causes a chain reaction. It's contagious. And the reason that joy is a ministry is because it is contagious. And as we spread it, we're spreading strength, we're spreading health, and we're causing people to want what we have. Now, Captain Coffey, he was an officer, and he was taken as a prisoner of war. And he goes around the United States now with his message, Freedom Is. Many of you have probably listened to his tape. But in that testimony, he told of one very interesting experience. Now, he had been under a tremendous amount of interrogation, and he was under so much pressure and so much stress because he literally was afraid that he was going to break. And he said despair and hopelessness was just all over him. And he said after one particularly unbearable day, he was taken down to a room where he was supposed to be able to get a shower. And he said he undressed only to find that that little faucet that was hanging out of the ceiling only had just a little trickle of water. He said it was barely enough to get a glass of water, much less a, a bath. And he said that was almost like it was the last straw. And he said despair just absolutely just went all over him. And so he leaned back against the wall. And when he did, his eyes caught something that had been scribbled on the wall. And it said, smile, you're on candid camera. And he said when he saw that, he just began to laugh and laugh. And he said that literally all of the heaviness just fell off of him. One of the unique qualities of our country is its sense of humor and its ability to laugh, you know, even at hardships. That was proved during the Great Depression. And America doesn't need to lose its ability to laugh. We don't need to lose that. We as Christians don't need to lose that. Now, sometimes present circumstances do look bleak. And it's in those times now that our joy has to be based on future promises. And that's okay. I mean, there's times when our joy should be based on future promises because the promises have been made by the God of the universe. Joy at those times has to simply be a decision based on trust because of the promises that have been made to us by our Father. Now, I'm going to end with a story that a pastor in Houston told, but it illustrates beautifully how our joy can indeed be based on future promises. This pastor said that his little girl came in and she wanted a new dress. And he said, okay, honey, I'll get you a new dress. This Saturday, I'll take you to town. And he said she began to leap for joy and she clapped her hands and she danced all around the room. And all week, Monday through Saturday, she was so excited. And people would ask her where the dress was, and that didn't faze her because she knew that Saturday was coming. She had confidence in her father that he was going to do exactly what he had promised. Now, we can rejoice Monday through Saturday simply because we know that Saturday's coming. We have confidence in our father. 
the God of the universe. He loves us. He wants to do good things for us more than we want them ourselves. And he's made tremendous great promises for us. Okay, we've looked tonight at what joy is. We've looked at four ways in which we can develop it. We've looked at four ways of why it is so very important. And now, really, the ball's in our court. After we know what it is and we know what to do, then we don't ever have to be without it. But it is a choice. I want to pray for you tonight. If you've temporarily lost sight of your joy, if you're a child of the King, then that joy is there. You have the joy of the salvation down on the inside of you. It's yours. All you have to do is just choose to bring it forth. And so I'm going to pray for you tonight. And if you've temporarily lost sight of that joy, I just want you tonight to make the quality decision that you're going to reach out and you're going to initiate, bring forth some sacrifices of praise and that you're going to bring that joy up and out. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for all of the, the members that go here. I thank you for all of the visitors. I thank you, Lord, for every single person that you've ever brought through these doors. I thank you, Lord, that you have made tremendous great promises to us. Father, one of the most precious promises that you've made is the fact that we can literally have joy at all times, that the joy of our salvation is always there. Father, what a great and wonderful promise that is. There's so many people, Lord, that out in the world that don't know Jesus and they want joy so desperately. And yet we have that joy. You've made Christ real in our life and you've made this joy available to us at all times. Now, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive each one of us as we've temporarily lost sight of our joy and as we've gotten into depression or despair. I ask you to forgive me, Father, personally. And, and I know that each person here is, is repentant, Lord. We ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive me when I've grumbled and complained and when I've gotten into fear and when I've put my eyes on the circumstances. Father, I do ask you to forgive me. Now, Lord, I'm asking that you'll help us that we will take the thoughts captive that, that have tried to come in and rob our joy. And Lord, I'm asking now that you'll show each person here individually something that they need to do, Lord, to, to bring that joy back up and out. Father, I don't know what it is that you have for each one of us to do, but Lord, I know there's something that, some point of obedience, and I'm asking, Lord, that you'll make it known right now. And as we sit here just quietly for just a moment, just open your heart to the Lord. He's going to tell you something that you need to do that's going to restore your, uh, the joy. Now, Father, I know that during these times, the last thing in the world we want to do is be obedient because, Lord, so many times the enemy fights us so hard with our emotions. But Lord, I thank you for giving each person the determination, Lord, that they're going to break through that and, and they're going to be obedient. Father, I thank you. We love you and we praise you. And Lord, certainly when we think about the fact that our names are written in the book of life, certainly when we think of that and the rewards that you've promised us, Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. That's enough to do exactly what Jesus did in, in Luke 10, 21, when he leaped and danced. Help us to release that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. 
Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.